you have a Bible this morning, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, but you do have a browser on your computer or a smartphone, you can go to esv.org and, and uh, access this scripture, I believe. If not there, just Google uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 14, and you can, you'll find the Bible for free online. You'll be able to access it uh, there. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. We are coming to the conclusion of a, of a journey through the book of 2 Corinthians together as a church this morning. And uh, I've loved this book. I hope it's been a blessing to you as well. Um, next week, I'll be preaching on our kind of first hybrid service Sunday. I'll be giving, giving more information out to you about that this week. Uh, I'll be preaching a little, a little message next week called Life Together Apart. And uh, we'll be talking about still what a strange world we're living in right now and maybe some things that can help us in our walk with Christ as we begin the process of, of moving back into something like normalcy. And so I think it'll help there. And then I've, I've, I was planning, and I still will at some point or another, preach through the middle section of Genesis. So I was planning to start over this summer, but I, I just sensed that, that was not, now is not the right time for that. And I'm planning to preach... Uh, through the book of James, beginning uh, in, in, in two weeks. So, by God's grace, we'll work through the book of James over the summer, and there's a lot to learn there and a lot for us to grow in there. And uh, I was planning on preaching a message or two before we started Genesis from James, and then I just sensed from the Lord, I, I think, uh, that, that now's the time just to go ahead and preach through the whole book. So, that's where we'll be uh, in the next several weeks, and... Um, We'll, we'll get James started, and uh, in the world we live in, uh, there's a lot to learn from the book of James, and so I look forward to growing together in the Lord's wisdom uh, with all of you. All right, but today we're finishing 2 Corinthians, uh, beginning in chapter 13, verse 11, and so if you have your Bibles open there, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Oh Lord, today would you open our hearts and minds, God, to be changed by this truth. And Lord, I pray we would be a church that's centered on the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christianity is a good news religion. That's what we're about. Now, some people have twisted that and made it seem like it's not the case. Uh, some people make it seem like it's a moral code religion. A do what's right. A do what's right or God's going to get you religion. A go to the church or the devil will get you religion, right? Uh, some people have tried to make Christianity into a political tool. Uh, some people have tried to morph it into a pathway to finding your true self, a way to achieve self-actualization. 
I saw a tweet this week that said uh, that uh, heaven is realizing you're perfect already. That sounds miserable, doesn't it? Aren't, aren't you glad there's hope to come? Uh, some people see it just as a mere tool for social action, for societal change. Some people use it like a get-rich-quick scheme. As one of my seminary professors, Dr. Moore, says, he says the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a get-rich-quick pyramid scheme uh, combined with ancient uh, pagan uh, fertility cults. And some people have morphed Christianity into all sorts of different things. But at our very core, at the very center of who we are, the thing that unites us as a church, the thing that holds us together even when we can't gather, is the fact that we are recipients of and heralds of good news. We are here with and for good news. We are a gospel people. You know that's what gospel means. It means good news. And so in good times and in bad, in trials and tribulations, and in good times as well, when we're gathered, when we're scattered, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, if we are in Christ and if we are in His church, we are gospel people. No matter what, no matter when, we are centered on the gospel. That is who we are as a people, and that is who every church ought to be. And we are doubling down on that reality at First Baptist Church. This is who we are. We are gospel people. We are good news people. That's what we're centered on. You know, there's all kinds of things. If you ride by our church and you don't know anything about it, there are all kinds of things people could or might assume about what we're about. It's a big, pretty building, so they might think we're about building. We're a First Baptist Church, and, you know, all kinds of people have. There's nobody, very few people who come to any First Baptist Church neutrally. They've always got a thought on what it's going to be like, right? But let it be known. Let it be known. We are gospel people. This is what we are about. And while we may have some idiosyncrasies and some things that define us as unique from other churches or whatever else, those things are fine and good. At the end of the day, the thing we care about most is that we preserve, that we share, that we live out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are gospel-centered. And this morning, I want to show you three hallmarks of gospel people. As, as Paul finishes out this sort of concluding section of 2 Corinthians and finishes out this letter, I, I think this last half of the letter is him showing the Corinthians how the gospel ought to come to bear on all sorts of aspects of their church. And as he concludes, I think he just gives some general instructions for how the church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to live and behave. Just some basic instructions here at the end showing the church at Corinth just some basic thoughts on how they ought to act moving forward. And I think as we've been on this journey with the Corinthians, it feels like we've been on a roller coaster. Ups and downs and jerked around, it's hard. In fact, we just got out of a passage where Paul's essentially threatening that it could be bad if they don't repent when he gets there. And yet I want you to see this passage, this, this, sort, of, this sort of return to form for Paul as he talks to the church as a whole. He returns to hope, he, he returns to joy, he returns to grace as he comes on the other side of this. And, and this is just some general instructions on how a church ought to act. In other words, these are some basic hallmarks of what it means to be a gospel church. What, what does it mean for us to be gospel-centered? What, what does it mean for us to focus as a church on the gospel? Here's just three things that help define that. Here's the first. Gospel churches rejoice. Gospel churches 
rejoice. Now, now notice the way that we almost get whiplash here. For this reason I write these things while I'm away of you, verse 10, from you, verse 10, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. In other words, Paul's saying, I can be severe if I need to be severe. I don't want to be because I want to use my authority to build you up, not to tear you down. That's my heart. That's my heart. I want us to be built up, not torn down. That's Paul's heart for the church at Corinth. And yet he's saying there's the very real reality that he can use his authority in a severe way if he has to. And then we almost switch gears almost immediately, right? And verse 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. Rejoice. Now, isn't that interesting? In the midst of all the controversy, in the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of all the difficulties, in the midst of the strain on the relationship that Paul has with the Corinthian church, what does he tell them to do? He tells them to rejoice. We rejoice because we're good news people. No matter how bad things get, we still have good news. If there ever comes a day, where we have persecution break out here in our country, or, or maybe God calls some of you to the mission field, and you get called to a country where there's persecution, and perhaps your church is on the verge of being sniffed out and killed for believing the gospel. The reality is, on our worst day as Christians, no matter how bad things get, we are still good news people, because we serve a God who can raise our bodies from the dead. Have you ever thought about that fact? Have you ever thought about, we, we talk about Abraham and Isaac a lot, and Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain. We say, how could you kill your son? What does the author of Hebrews tell us that Abraham believed? That God was able to raise him from the dead. Right? God wasn't trusting that, I mean, Abraham wasn't trusting that God would give him another son. Abraham was trusting, because God had promised that the promise would come through Isaac. He believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. He was a resurrection man. He's a good news person. We are good news people we always rejoice whatever we're going through the gospel grants us a perspective on life that allows us to rejoice and so we can rejoice in trials we can rejoice in trials some of y'all might be like me though it's been a little bit of a, a trial the last couple months and i have not always rejoiced a few sundays ago i'm surprised nobody had an intervention on me i was ill as a hornet when i came in here Sunday morning. Fed up with it. Sick of it. I bet, I bet some of you have just gotten to the point where you said, I, I'm, something's going to have to give as we go through a trial. And yet the Bible says we can rejoice in trials. Even in a trial, I think, even in the difficulty that the Corinthians are in, even what they're going through, Paul tells them, finally, brothers, rejoice. He, he's using brothers here as sort of shorthand for the whole church. Rejoice. As Christians, we rejoice in trials, but we also rejoice through worship. We are jubilant worshipers. Now, there is a place for lament, and, and there is a place for somberness, and there's a place for reflecting merely on God's majesty or even on God's severity. There's a place for repentant worship. And I love the history we have in, 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 in our faith tradition of things like solemn assemblies where we come together in repentance before the Lord. And yet, the thing that marks Christian worship more than anything is rejoicing. Rejoicing. We are triumphant worshipers because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in worship. Now, have you thought about this? 
Have you thought about how amazing it is that every Sunday we come before a holy God? Sinners! We're sinners! And we come before a holy God and worship Him. And we come in happy to do it. We come before the Lord with boldness and jubilation and rejoicing. It's not always the case that when people encounter the living God that they exit rejoicing, right? It's not always the case. And yet through the gospel, through what Jesus has done for us, we are able to approach the throne of grace boldly. We don't shy away from God in worship. We rejoice before God in worship. There's no such thing as sour Christianity. Though some may try their best to make it so. I say, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. And I do think sometimes, and I think it's a shame, that there are people who try to make rules. Now, I agree, everything needs to be done decently in order, as the Bible says. And I'm not saying we need to make a show of our worship or whatever else, but at the same time, can we not just recognize that there are traditions other than our own where there is rejoicing that's happening before the Lord? I think we ought to celebrate other traditions. Rejoice with other traditions. I, I say it all the time. I'm not going to argue and fight over how we sing praises to Jesus. He deserves every last bit of it. Whatever we can give Him, He deserves. There's no amount of praise that will ever be, oh yeah, that's enough. No, Jesus deserves everything we can muster. We are a rejoicing people. Finally, brothers, Paul says. He's addressing them as a group, and so we recognize we rejoice in fellowship. This isn't just merely something we do as individuals. There is a joy in fellowship. It's one of the reasons why this, this season is a trial. Because it's hard to be without the fellowship of the saints. It's so trying because of, of the joy that's there in the gathered church. The joy that's there when the little kids run through the room. The joy that's there when you see someone you haven't seen in a week. The joy that's there when you share life together as a church. We are a rejoicing people. And I want you to know that cold and lifeless churches typically do not have a profound sense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel leads us to rejoice. Because yesterday we were dead and today we are alive in Christ. We are a rejoicing people. Understanding who Jesus is and what Jesus has done leads us to rejoice. But not only that, gospel churches rejoice, but also, second of all, gospel churches love. Gospel-centered churches love. Gospel people love. We are loving people. Now, some people try their hardest to make it seem like we're not, right? I mean, some Christians, sometimes I wonder, I I think, how can you be so cold and dour if you've ever experienced the love of God? Sometimes I wonder people who are so cold and sour, who claim Christianity, I, I fear in my heart, and I'll be honest, I fear in my heart, I don't think they can't be a Christian if they're like that. I'm not trying to judge them. I just say sometimes I wonder if they're still trapped in a sort of self-righteousness that makes them think that they're trying to earn their salvation before God because nothing will make you sour and bitter and angry quite like thinking that God is waiting on you to get it together. Nothing will zap love from you like older brother syndrome. 
wondering why God's being so loving to all these others when I've been here doing what I'm supposed to do all these years. I'm a cradle row Baptist and I've done all the things I'm supposed to do and yet still it's not good enough for you, God. Let me tell you something. Nobody's good enough for God. His love is not dependent on what you do. You see, the gospel frees us to love God and to love others. Gospel people are loving people. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Do you see this picture and this portrait of love? And and do you see the way that Paul, while not saying love, details all these things that look like love? You don't greet somebody with a holy kiss if you don't love them. I want to encourage you guys right now. Next Sunday, no kissing. Okay? No kissing. Even if you're married, no holy kissing at church next Sunday. You don't want to make everybody else jealous, okay? But I think we recognize as we read this, we see just this picture of love. And then he, he brings love in and says, The God of love and peace will be with you. In other words, Paul's painting this picture of the way that God is in the presence of his people and his love is overflowing and animating our love for one another and our love in the midst of one another. We see this love pronounced here when he says, Aim for restoration. How beautiful is that? you'd think Paul would say, save them for me for when I get there. Save the rebels for me. I don't want to take care of them after the way I've been treated. Make sure that anyone who thinks that they're something in this church, make sure and see to it that they never have authority in this church again. Anybody who thinks they're, they're bigger and better than Paul, you better make sure that you never treat them the same again. What does he say, though? Aim for restoration. Try your best, if you can, before I even get there to restore those who are sinning. You see this picture of love? Paul's talked about some real difficult truths with the Corinthians, and so, but it's important to remember that his goal is ultimately restoration. And I think there's a sort of breed of Christianity that develops that wants to take God's holiness so seriously that it begins to downplay his love. That even if people do repent, you know there are folks that like to accuse folks and slander people and say all different kinds of sins that they're committing and everything else. And when they find out that what they've been saying isn't true, they're disappointed. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We aim for restoration. Love hopes all things, believes all things. We are the sort of people who demonstrate our love through longing for restoration. But we also love through comforting one another. What a sweet comfort. What a sweet comfort it is when the saints of God pray for you. What what a sweet comfort it is when the saints of God encourage you. First Baptist family, you've been so comforting to me during this time. Every email, every note, every kind comment is a comfort to me. And I know many of you during this time have been comforted by God's people. We love through peace. The Bible says, agree with one another and live in peace. Now, we're Baptists, but this still applies to us. 
agree with one another, and live in peace. It's like I pray at every church business meeting, Lord, please let this be more church than business. Right? We're here not to try to let our opinions be known, even though that is the right of every member of any church, is that you are welcome to have your thoughts, you're welcome to have your opinions, and you ought to let them be known. No, no leadership is supposed to happen in a silo or on an island, but the Bible does tell us to agree with one another and to live in peace. Sometimes people think it's hard for churches to get along, but the reality is it's hard for gospel people to fight all the time. It's hard for gospel people to fight all the time. And so if you have a hard time getting along with others, you might have a centered on the gospel issue in your life. The gospel brings peace to our lives and our hearts. It's hard for gospel people to fight all the time. We keep short records. We move on quickly. We forgive easily because that's what God has done for us. But we also, we love in God's presence. Paul says the God of love and peace will be with you. The, the God of love and peace will be with with you. Church, have you just have you just let that sit down on you? How momentous it is that God is with us, that we can even experience God's presence at all, it, that God spoke to us whatsoever is a miracle in and of itself. God has no obligation to reveal himself, and yet he did decide to, he chose to reveal himself. He is a God who speaks and who shows in ways that we can understand. And yet, doesn't your conscience tell you that you've done wrong, that you've sinned against God? So wouldn't it make sense that if we could meet God or know God, we would only meet a God who is displeased with us. And yet, what does the Bible say? It says the God of love and peace will be with you. It's amazing that we can come into God's presence at all. It is downright miraculous that we come into God's presence and what we experience there is His love and His peace. What a miracle it is. It is because we are gospel people. Jesus Christ died for our sins. His blood was shed on our behalf. And now we have an experience of God's love. And we get to experience God's peace. Even when we ought not to be able to in our own right. We've been given that through Christ. Then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. All the saints greet you. We love an authentic fellowship. God has brought us together. And you start thinking about it. I like to just think about all the different people in our church. Nothing makes sense of it except the gospel. Right? We're from different. Some of, many of us live in different communities, from different places. Different backgrounds, different thoughts on, I'm going to tell you something, I'm your preacher and I hear a lot of your thoughts. Y'all all have a lot of different thoughts on a lot of different things. I'm just going to go and tell you. you all, everyone thinks a little differently in the church. But what brings us together? What keeps us moving forward? What, what, what animates us? Is it just, oh, I don't want to stir the, the pot, I don't want to rock the boat. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not what it is. It's the gospel. It's the love of God spilling over in our church. 
His love for us spills over and it, it creates love for us. We're knit together, the scripture teaches, in the gospel. God has woven us together here. That's what holds us together and that's what perpetuates the Lord's church. That's why we've been here since 1855 and by God's grace we'll be here for decades and decades and decades to come sharing and preaching the gospel. It's because Jesus has brought us here. Jesus has knit us together and the gospel gives us loving, authentic fellowship with one another. To the point that Christians do things with one another that we would only otherwise do with our families. Think what we do regularly. We eat together. In, in many church traditions, they all drink out of one cup. It's what families do. The Bible says here, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's what families do. We are the family of God. We have been brought here with authentic fellowship. This is what gospel people do. Gospel people love one another. Finally, gospel churches delight in God. Gospel churches delight in God. There's so many good things here. Great children's ministry. Great fellowship. There's great fun to be had. When things are going well, you know, when things are normal, we got good Wednesday night suppers. Joyce knocks it out of the park. Come together, we eat together, we sing together. We got a beautiful choir. There's so many cool things here that I love. Opportunities to learn and teach. But the reality is, if you take God out, none of it matters. Go to a restaurant if you take God out. Join a glee club if you take God out. Go to the Ollie classes if you take God out. Help, help people somewhere else if you take God out. Give all your money to the United Way or somewhere else if you take God out. No, we are here to delight in God. The reality is that the greatest thing we accomplish in the course of a week, no matter what we do for the community, and that's important, and no matter what we do for one another, and that's important, no matter what we find, no matter how we act, the most important thing we do in the course of a week is glorify God. We are called here to delight in the Lord. The gospel opens our eyes to the glories and wonders of who God is, and God has opened His own heart to us so that we can know Him and know Him deeply and to get a taste for Him and to recognize as time goes on, there are so many delights in God before we ever even reach the heavenly fields. So many beautiful things to know. It is gorgeous to know God. It is delicious to know God. It is a wonderful thing to be able to come here and delight in God. If God is not what we're about, let's just stay home for good. Sell the building, give it to the poor, and be done. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you delight in the grace of Christ? When you hear that phrase, are you reminded of the, the magnitude of what Jesus did for you, a sinner at the cross? Perfect Holy Jesus sacrificed on your behalf. Delight in the grace of Christ. Delight in the love of God the Father who didn't even have to introduce Himself. Did not leave you as an orphan, but loved you and adopted you into His family. Delight in the love of God. And that same God who saved us by His grace 
who shed his love on us, could have just left us here to figure it out on our own. But instead, by his spirit, he fellowships with us. Do you delight in the fact that if you are a Christian, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God and you can have genuine, authentic, day-to-day, everyday fellowship with God through the Spirit. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is why we are here. This is why we care. You can know God and you can enjoy Him forever. This is what makes us good news people is that we do not have to settle for things that don't satisfy. We don't have to go out after sin that destroys us. There is a way to know God. There is good news to find the one for whom your soul longs. There is a way for that gap in your soul to be filled by the one who made you and that is through the shed blood of Jesus. We put our faith in him and he introduces us to his father and brings us into his family forever. We delight in God. Taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. My friends, we are good news people and we are a good news church. And the center that holds us together is the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is king of our church. He is the leader of our church and he has introduced us to God in whom we delight. Never lose sight. Never lose taste of what good news this really is. This morning, you may need to take a few moments to reflect on the truth you've heard today. I want you to take a few moments. If you have questions about Christianity, you want to know more about our church, just email me. It's malexander at fbcgazin.org. Shoot me an email today. And I'd love to hear from you and talk to you. I'll give you my phone number if you want to talk on the phone. Whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure if you want to know the Lord, we'll, we'll get you, I'll help you all I can. But the reality is this morning, you may need some time to reflect. You take these few moments to reflect here this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship together today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.